101.1 FM, The Way. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. What do 3,600 attacks, two bad dudes, 74%, a summer camp, seven tons, 80 bales, 16 bricks, $400,000, and an 85-year-old man have in common? I have no idea. (laughs) But they are all signs of the times that we'll discuss this week as we look at the world's prophecy news for Friday, July 28th, 2023. And how do you put all the seemingly disparate things in your life into one insurance policy? I have no idea, but our sponsor, Bob Johnson Insurance, a full-service independent agency featuring Erie Insurance products, can help you figure it all out. And it all starts when you contact them by phone at 865-922-3111 or online at bobjohnsonins.com. Now, you can listen to this show again. You can share previous episodes with your friends who are trying to figure out the meaning of life or ask Pastor Mark that prophecy question you can't stop thinking about by hitting us up at thewaymedia.net, then click on Signs of the Times, or you can do the same on the Way Media app. And now, here to continue doing his best figuring out how all my jokes come together is Pastor Mark whose grandmother, at 65 years of age, mm-hmm. started walking 10 miles a day. Mm-hmm. She's now 92, but he has no idea where she is. <laughs> I think she's with Forrest Gump. Okay. <laughs> she probably is at a ping pong tournament. Yeah, no, that's good. I like that. Okay. I like kind of that literal kind of, uh, yeah, walking 10 miles a day. I, that's, See, um, so that, that's the key for me, Yes, is, is literal jokes. I think so. I okay, think that kind of works fake, for me. Okay, you know? okay. Of course, there should be some sense of passion for losing your grandmother, but at the same time, I think the joke overrode <laughs> the sympathy for the grandmother, who's wandering out there somewhere, yes. Greg. Yeah, you know that. That's, Just aimlessly, that, 10, yeah, 10 that's funny. miles a day. H- humor overriding, uh, you know. Human con- compassion. Con- compassion or concern. <laughs> but that's a wonderful segue. Yes, to into what we want to talk about next, because it's like um, certain signs that we see could be lining up with Scripture or might be deceiving you, but if we forget the basis of Scripture and what God's Word has told us about certain things of the end times, we might take the signs that we see as biblical or as authoritative without going back to the word and and comparing it and saying does this line up with anything right that's exactly right and um and 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 it goes into what's happening again you know just for a moment i wanted to take at the start of the show about predicting the coming of the lord predicting the day and the time of the coming of the lord look i believe we're very close and all of our signs of the times listeners know that we all believe the lord's return is very near and i think all the signs are very near 
uh, for the Lord. But we are strictly warned um, in the scripture. The Lord says no one know, no one you know, no one knows the day, the day or the hour. And I think that uh, one of our weaknesses is in our human nature is we want to know the day or the hour. It's interesting. You know, the disciples said, Lord, when will these things take place? In Matthew 24, when he talked about everything prophetically, Greg, and the Lord said to them, look, the Father holds the times and seasons in his hand. You don't need to be worried about that. And actually, that wasn't uh, Matthew. That was actually Acts chapter 1, when he's about to ascend back up into heaven. Oh, um, because, because, yeah, because the, the disciples thought he was going to reestablish the kingdom. He yeah. thought he was, they were still wanting that. And he said, that's not in your purview. You know, yep. this is not for you to know the times and seasons. And I know for me, when I have things that I feel that God has told me, and, and there are major impact things I want to know. And sometimes God says, I'm not going to tell you. And you just have to trust me and wait. It's like the kid in the back seat. Are we almost there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Just trust me. We're going to get there. And I can't give you every mile marker. Just relax. I want every mile marker. I want to know when we're pulling off the exit. I want to know exactly what time we'll pull off the exit. So I understand this desire to want to know the day and the hour. And uh, let me just say a couple of things. Why am I bringing this up? Because today is the 10th of Av. Uh, of course, it's July 28th in the regular calendar for us, the, the uh, I guess, Gregorian, but the Jewish calendar um, is the, the, the 10th of Av. And the 9th and 10th of Av are, are very, very um, special days to the Jews. Tisha B'Av, this is, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, this is when the, the 9th of Av leading into the 10th is when many major things happened uh, uh, for the nation of Israel. Um, it was the, again, check this out, Greg, the 9th of Av is when um, they say Moses brought the tablets back down from the from the mountain. Mm-hmm. The ninth of Av is when God spoke to them and said, you're not going to get to go in the promised land because they didn't believe, and they spent the full 40 years in the wilderness. The ninth of Av is um, on in, in, in 1290 was when uh, Britain kicked out the Jews. The ninth of Av in 1492, uh, when Columbus left, which he left on that day, that's the day that they kicked the Jews out of, 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 that, of that area as well, out of uh, uh, Spain. And then the ninth of Av is also when the first temple was destroyed, and the ninth of Av was when the second temple was destroyed. So the ninth of Av, God has it is uh, um, no doubt He's used He's that. used it sure. yeah, because God is a God of very specific dates and times. He has used the ninth of Av as a big moment in Jewish history, and again, actually, in the first temple. It was set on fire at the very end of the ninth of Av and burned a full 24 hours into the 10th of Av. So they carry it on into today. The 10th of Av, it burned into the afternoon. So that's kind of when it officially burned. But the ninth of Av is this big day. And believe it or not, there are people because of that that use this date as a prediction of when the rapture is going to happen as well. And their reasoning behind that, I didn't learn that until just recently. Uh, their reasoning behind that is, is that, well, God brought judgment um, on the ninth of Av against the nation. So before the judgment comes, God removed the righteous, which he did. He took them into Babylon and he took the Jews, the believers out of Israel in 70 AD before he destroyed the second temple. So he did remove believers. There is a picture there. Then destroyed their temple. But to, to say that that means he destroyed the temple after removing believers, that that's a picture of the rapture. That's a stretch to me, but they're using that. And I was just reminded again, once again, people that believe that were let down again yesterday. And today they're let down because they had their hopes on this. This, this is the year is the rapture. Well, the same thing happens every year when we get into September and we come to the Feast of Trumpets because it is absolutely and biblically and prophetically symbolic, I believe, of the rapture of the church. So I have no doubt in that. And again, it's interesting that it's the next one of the feast to be fulfilled. All the feasts have been literally fulfilled from a prophetic sense, from a prophetic yes. sense. And, and also interesting, they've all been. And this is where a lot of people, I think, um, really hone in on September. And I want to acknowledge this. So far, every one of them have been literally fulfilled on the day that they really were supposed to happen. 
I mean, really, uh, Feast of Unleavened really happened on Feast of Unleavened. Jesus, you know, uh, died for our sins. Uh, P- Passover really happened on Passover. The lamb died. Jesus on the cross. Feast of first fruits, where they would offer the first fruits that were going to be of the harvest to the, to the priest and to God. That really happened three days later in the resurrection. And then Feast of Pentecost literally happened, you know, 50 days later after his crucifixion. Um, and, and, and God poured out his spirit and the church was born. So, so what makes the Feast of Trumpets, what are the characteristics about the Feast of Trumpets, Pastor Mark, that really makes it different from the rest of the feasts yeah, and, great, why, great. And, no. and why it's so important for us to understand Great that. question. I wasn't going to talk about that, but we're going to do it. This is a good discussion. It is different from all the others because all of the others, first of all, every single one of the feasts have a very known purpose. Out of all seven, you can say, yep, and the Jews say it. Here's what it meant. Here's what it meant. And we all agree. Now, they don't agree with the church being Pentecost, but they agree with the main basic meanings of the feast or whatever. Mm -hmm. The only feast that comes with no explanation is the Feast of Trumpets. It is a mystery feast. They don't know why they're observing it. They don't know what the trumpets represent. The priest will tell you that. We have no idea why we worship on that day. The trumpet blasts, and we all worship and worship God and kind of stop what we're doing and and worship God. and, And there's this trumpet blast, and we don't really know what it's for. But God said to do it, so we're doing it. Well, we know what it's for because it represents the rapture of the church. The trumpet will sound as Michael the archangel descends from heaven, First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we will ascend up into heaven, you know, with the sound of the archangel and be with the Lord, and we will worship the Lord. So we'll literally enter the temple and worship the Lord. We know what's going to happen. So that number one is that it's a, it's a mystery uh, to a lot of people, but also it's the only feast that happens at the very first day of the year, uh, first day of the month, rather. Um, and, and, and because it's the first day of the month, it, they don't know which, when the exact time that it's going to be, because there's that beginning of a month and there's the, there's the feast starting and there's the stars. They go by the first three stars you see in the, in the sky and depends on the timing, uh, whether of which day it can be, it can be one or two days. So technically for those who want to be technical and I'll, and I'll grant you this, I'm not denying that it couldn't be on that day. It could be, but technically, yes, you could say you could predict that it would happen on, on the feast of trumpets and, and. It really could, and you could still not defy the words of the Lord where he said no one would know the day or the hour because technically no one knows the day or the hour of that feast. It could be one or two days. But you know the season. Yes, you know the season, but, but I'm saying they, they'd make the argument. But right. You, you, still can, you, know, it, it, you can still say that it'll be on the Feast of Trumpets because we can still fulfill the words of the Lord. No right. one knows the day or the hour. So they'll make that argument and, and say that's when it's going to be. Oh, okay. See what I'm saying? That's their argument. We okay. can still predict that time. What, what my argument is is just don't do that. Always be watching for the Lord. Always be excited that he could come back at any moment. And number one, the reason we shouldn't be predicting dates, I want to give uh, several reasons here. Number one, the Lord said no one will know the day or the hour. That means he doesn't want us trying to predict it. If he wanted us trying to predict it, he would have said, you know, for the wise and the seeking, they may know. You know, no, he said no one will know the day or the hour. Nobody knows. Secondly, what it does, it takes away the eminence. In other words, if you think it's limited to of the ninth or um, the Feast of Trumpets, you're going to be goofing off until that day. You're only looking for it those two days. That's it. You're going, you know what? It can't be now because it's not the ninth of all, but it's not. So, no, the Lord said, be ready. You don't know when your Lord is coming. He said, you need to be ready at every moment, like, like a servant standing at the door watching for his master to return. And he said over and over, Jesus said throughout the Gospels, Greg, therefore, watch or you do not know you know what hour right that he's coming so we're supposed to be watching so it takes away the watching element um 
And 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 so and so so to be always kind of prepared to be watching. And the last thing that I want to warn our listeners about, and those who maybe are, can be overzealous about picking the days or the times or whatever, is that the more we do this, I say we, I have never done it, but the more that people predict a day, and it doesn't happen. You may not realize it, but subconsciously for the believer and the unbeliever who hears this stuff, it kind of makes you go to sleep. It's like, you know what? I've been hearing this. It's crying wolf. I've been hearing this forever. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in the last days, scoffers will come yes. saying, yeah. where is this coming? Yeah. I've been hearing this forever and ever and ever. I wonder how much we're contributing to the scoffing by trying to set dates. Now, I know the mindset. The mindset is we want to prepare the, prepare the flock, get them ready, and let's get excited together. The problem with that is we should already be ready and we should already be excited. And my concern, Greg, is it's doing the opposite. It's making us less concerned and excited the more we hear it and it never yeah. happens. And 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 the the last thing I want to say about it as far as kind of wrapping that package up and we'll go wherever else is in your heart because okay. I'm open to discussing it. Yeah, I've but, got another question. But here's the thing. Recognize this. It could happen anytime for the last 2,000 years. And over the last 2,000 years, I don't think I would be out of line saying thousands have predicted the exact day over 2,000 years, because no doubt hundreds have just in our lifetime. So let's say thousands have predicted the day over the last 2,000 years. How many of them have been accurate? In other words, there's not been one person in world history who ever predicted the day of the Lord's return that has been right. What makes you think you're going to be the guy? Yeah. All right. Uh, my question is this. And. Now, when we take a look at the Bible in its entirety, we see that God sometimes talks about uh, literal things literally, like six-day creation is a literal six days. Right. When God predicted uh, the, um, the, when Jesus would ride into Jerusalem as the, yeah. as the Messiah yeah. to the day, yep. God is very exacting. Right. He's very precise. Yep. But then when it comes to the things of prophecy, God hides things prophetically. And we see that as we look at idioms and we look at expositional constancy on how he speaks. When he talks about a prophetic week, that means seven years. So is it possible as we look at all of these things and, and you take the literal days because again we're looking at the feasts on three levels we're, we're looking at the feasts on a physical level a spiritual level and a prophetic level so if we take the dating of the physical level can we not could we not extrapolate that to the prophetic level and it's like so if a week is seven years so then what's a prophetic day yeah, and I'm You're just saying about people confuse things it, by doing that. Well, yes, because they're trying to apply the literal where God did not intend the yeah. literal to be applied. Furthermore, it's the feast of which he there there is no known. The start date isn't known, but they know the time frame for it. And Jesus said, "No one will know the day or the hour of the rapture." So can we can we put those two together to to kind of give us a bigger picture and saying, "You want to know what?" We really don't know, and when we look at it prophetically, it could be within this time frame, but we never know what year it's going to be. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Again, you're right. We don't know the year. We can't nail down the exact time, Greg. That's why we we are right. to know the season. We talked yeah. about that. And the point you bring up about people setting timelines to the way the pro- prophecy speaks, they've done that as well throughout history. We've yeah. had people that, you know, like for, here's an example okay. of one. Um, a day to the Lord is as a thousand years uh, and, and as a thousand years to a day. And people will say, well, oh, there's, God's given us a prophetic hint. Um, a day is a thousand years. So if we figure out this number of days and add a thousand years, or if we, or if we work in reverse, you know, make it number of days, et cetera. When it means God exists outside of time, well, what's it, time to God? Well, they forget the word as. Yeah, as, exactly. He didn't say that a thousand years was a day or a day was a thousand years. He said it's as. And so it, it's, the, it's the small details yeah. that make a huge difference. So people have used those kind of things, yeah. and they try to figure out these kind of numbers and dates, and they do this. Every single one, and I've seen some very clever, very well thought out, and very convincing arguments, um, but they all fail. And usually what happens when a person predicts a day, if it fails, they'll say, ah, I see what I did. I'm a year off. I'm a year off. It really is, it's going to be next year because (laughs) I didn't figure in whatever, and they do it. And again, the most famous one is, is, I don't know if it was Harold Camping that did whoever in 1988, they had this whole thing, you know, uh, 88 reasons. Yeah, for the rapture in 88. Yes. Right. And then when it failed, it it literally, here's what got me, sold a lot of books on that. He wrote 89 reasons. Oh, no. That I was wrong or whatever. Not that I was wrong, but that it's going to be in 89. More people bought the book. And, of course, it didn't happen in 89. So, look, the Lord is very specific. There is going to be a very specific set-aside day. We don't know the day or the hour. We leave that in his hands. And we just have to be patient and wait and be ready at all times. So it, don't look toward those dates. Be ready today. Well, no, I can't say today because it's 10th of all. Okay, be ready tomorrow. <laughs> no, well, you need, no, you need to be ready today as well. You yeah. still need to be ready today. But be ready every single day. Be ready every single moment. Don't lose that fervor and excitement that the Lord can come any second. And don't get disheartened by everyone who keeps predicting that this is the year because of whatever Shemitah or this or the 70 or you divide that by eight or, you know, turn your head sideways and squint with one eye, whatever. Just say he's coming back at any moment and be ready at any time. And and then you're going to be happy. But I tell you, it's near. This is the season. We're close. We're We're close. close. All right, so let's uh, let's uh, jump over to the Temple Mount really quick yes. before we get into Israel yes, news yes. officially. But unofficially, uh, what did the fox say? Yeah, how's I can't, I can't remember, I can't how, it remember exactly. how these are. Do, 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 something like yeah, that. something but, like that. And I'm going to have everybody singing that now. Anyway, <laughs> no, I want to point this out because some of you may read it. And if we don't mention it for sure, we'll hear about it next week. Um, there, there on on the temple yesterday, on the ninth, ninth of, Ob, of when the temple was destroyed. A fox, and I saw the video. You can go look at the video on Jerusalem Post if you want to look it up. A fox ran across the southern steps where we are. We do Bible studies there every time we go, and it shows the fox running down the sun, down the, the wall there, the southern wall, and then he heads down there the steps into where all the mikvahs are and down toward the down to City of David direction wherever this fox is running trying to get away. And everybody's excited, everybody. The Orthodox are excited in Israel, some of them, uh, because they believe this is a sign that the third temple is going to be rebuilt. And why do they believe that? Let me read a little bit of the Jerusalem Post article. Rabbi Akiva responded to the appearance of the fox that it coincided with the prophecy given by the prophet Uriah 
Um, and it, my, my, it just, this thing just reset. It literally reset and took my article away as I was talking. So this wow. is something, again, I want to just make a prophecy. The Fox that took your no, article away. Kidding. Yeah. That, that sneaky Fox, yes. uh, tore down that, the, the wall. Whatever. Yeah. You I, tell that Fox. I have it back. You tell that Fox. <laughs> I know how to scroll down. And so I'm scrolling down. Here it is again. It keeps disappearing. This is weird. I'm going to read it before it goes again. This is bizarre. Okay. So there's a battle going on here. Uh, anyway, I'm just kidding. I don't want to overdraw. That don't make no sense. Yeah. Anyway, he says it prophesied. It coincides with the prophecy of the prophet Uriah. Again, others say, no, it's really the prophet Micah. They say the prophet Uriah. We don't have a prophet Uriah in, in, the, in the scriptures uh, that's written down. But they say the prophet Uriah, therefore, and I quote him, uh, therefore, for Zion's sake, it shall be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become rubble, and the temple mount as the high places of a forest where foxes are found. Now, actually, that's in Micah 3.12. Okay. They say it's in Uriah as well, whoever Uriah is. But it doesn't mention the fox in 312 in, in the English there. It's at the Hebrew. Again, it's just, it just says where the high place of the forest is. And, of course, the Hebrew, they say, bears out where foxes are found. Um, so, anyway, it is interesting that a fox goes running across the southern steps on the 9th of Av when this has been such a day that God has given a lot of, a lot of pictures and symbols of the nation of Israel. Um, this is not predicting a day that, of anything to do. with They just believe it's a sign that the third temple is going to be rebuilt. Well, let me just say this. I'm no prophet. But the third temple is going to be, be rebuilt in the last days, and I believe we're in the last days. So I think even without the fox, I can tell you that temple is, is not that far away. That's right. But what it's doing is it's creating kind of a religious fervor and excitement among the Orthodox there, and they're getting more excited about the temple mount every day. So if nothing else, whether it's the, a sign from God or whether it's the enemy, Greg, that's just trying to you know mess with them, uh, or just a fox that saw a rabbit you know run down the southern steps, whatever it is. Um, you know, again, we know the temple, third temple will be rebuilt and we know the Lord's uh, return is soon. So uh, the fact that they're excited about it is pretty cool because that means they're going to push all the more, uh, probably for the third temple, which we know is going to happen. So a lot of neat things happening. Just don't, don't overdo it. But I want to make a comment because I'm sure I'll get lots of emails this week about that. Yes, you will. Yes. All right. So officially in Israel here. Uh, and this is I'm, this is all sorts of news. This is not just Israel news, but this is really anti-Semitism news as well. Uh, Israel 365 News reporting 3,600 plus Palestinian terror attacks just in the first half of this year. Yeah, so there's a there is definitely an upturn in uh, the prophetic. I mean, not prophetic, but upturn in the persecution against the Jews that's going on here. And so this is interesting. Again, as we come to this article, just the number, you have to say, well, what does that compare to? Well, the escalation of the Palestinian terrorism started over a year ago, the article says. It shows no signs of abating. Data from Rescuers Without Borders uh, published on Tuesday. Uh, in the first six months of 2023, the emergency service recorded, as you said, 3640 acts of terror throughout Israel, including 2118, 2118 cases of rock throwing, uh, 799 attacks with Molotov, excuse me, Molotov cocktails, 18 attempted stabbings and six car rammings. Um, boy, just living there, you know, just to live there, what they have to always be looking over their shoulder. It says the number of shootings has already surpassed last year's total with 101 instances of gunfire directed at Israelis reported. Um, Hatzalah's figures do not include the hundreds of attacks on security personnel during counterterrorism operations in uh, the Palestinian villages. Palestinian terrorists have killed 28 people and wounded 362 since January, the organization said. Now, obviously we know there's tension. Obviously we know there's fighting. Why do we mention that? Remember, it, the, the hatred for the Jews 
is only going to get more intense the closer we get to the return of the Lord, and I think that's what you're seeing. Well, and we've got an article that we'll talk about later that's really going to lend itself to this uh, article in terms of the number of attacks as well. We will get to that in a little while. Great. Until then. Yes. We've got to get to some Ezekiel 38 and 39 news. And uh, for those of you uh, that are um, local people that attend our church, and for those of you that maybe watch online or don't, um, I would encourage you on Wednesday nights, Pastor Mark is in the book of Ezekiel, and he's awfully close to getting to Ezekiel 38 and 39. I don't think this week, but probably the week after. Yeah, we're getting closer. Some, somewhere. We're getting closer, around. yeah. That's going to be a good Well, you just ended chapter 32. Yeah. So I don't know how long it would take. But anyway, I never know till I get yeah, there. Until so, you get there. Yeah, but yeah. We're, we're, well, you see, no man will know right. the day or the hour that Pastor Mark will get to Ezekiel 38 right. 39. You but you know the season. That's right. And it's, we're, it's soon. We're in the season. That's, okay. right. that's right. All right, the Times of Israel. Erdogan hosts the Palestinian Authority's Abbas and the Hamas head Hania to prepare for detente Talks. Yes, yes. Uh, Muhammad Abbas and Hamas terror group uh, head Ismail uh, Haniyai held a joint meeting in Ankara Wednesday with Turkish leader, um, the Turkish uh, president Erdogan, ahead of a crucial summit of Palestinian uh, factions set for the weekend. Sources close to the Fatah party and Hamas said that the Ankara meeting focused on Palestinian unity. Now, this is interesting. Focusing on Palestinian unity and how to end their divisions, right? So this is, this is about them. <laughs> yes, they're infighting. Yeah, they're infighting, yes. The, the meeting is very important, they said, and I quote, especially a lot of the continuation of the Israeli aggression in Jerusalem and the West Bank and the continuation of settlement activity, a source said. Fatah and Hamas and several other groups are slated to meet in Cairo on national reconciliation following the Israeli raids against Islamic Jihad terrorists in the northern West Bank. Uh, where the PA has largely lost control of Palestinian cities Nablus and Jenin. The Islamic Jihad said earlier this week that it would boycott the meeting. Now, why is this interesting? Again, this is not talking about let's get together and organize how we can attack Israel, but it is. It's talking about what needs to be in place for them to organize and attack Israel. See, this is so neat to watch God work, Greg. Throughout biblical history, God has confused the enemies of Israel. Yes. He turns them on themselves. You read the biblical yes. battle. Sometimes they kill each other because they're confused. You know, and when you see when, when uh, Gideon, you know, uh, blew the trumpet and, and, and all that, they start killing each other. And, and that, again, that confusion that comes, even in recent battles, they've talked about the confusion among the enemies of Israel and the things that they've done that have hurt them. I here, what they're trying to say is, is let's stop this. If, if we can't come together and organize and stop fighting each other, because there's a lot of infighting among the, the Sunni and the Shias yeah. and the different groups that want different things. Greg, there's so much infighting among them. If they could get themselves organized, they would be a formidable foe. Yes, they can't organize themselves nope. enough to fight in unity against <laughs> Israel. So what they're saying is, okay, whoa, first of all, let's stop all our infighting so we can go and attack and kill Israel. <laughs> it's like, But they can't, and God is allowing this confusion and allowing all this to happen. It's, it's amusing in the sense of the fact that God will not allow unity among them because they can't unify long enough to, to bring together a, a, a solid force to attack Israel. You know, I don't know about today with their modern army, but the Israelis used to say, you know, if they ever got organized mm-hmm. enough, there's so many of them and they surround us. If they ever just got along and got organized, we would really be in big trouble. We'd have a real fight on our hands. But because they all fight each other, we just sit back and watch them destroy yeah. each other, and you know we're kind of safe. It's yeah. ridiculous. Well, just but, tell them to open up Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight and thirty-nine and start reading. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, again, it's it, it just you see the hand of the Lord um, working to protect Israel, and it's amazing that the enemies of 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 God can surround the people of God, but because they are so 
messed up and chaotic, they can't join together enough to, to bring a good fight. It's yeah. amazing. Amazing so, Yeah, it is. All right, let's uh, hit America real quick here. Uh, this is from ChristianHeadlines.com. Americans believe, this is according actually to a, a Gallup poll. Yes. Americans' belief in God, heaven, and angels hits historic lows. Yeah. You know, we read these every so often, and, and don't don't get sleepy on these because each one of these, it only gets worse. And you hear it and go, well, yeah, yeah, it's getting worse. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I, we read these. We have one or two of these a year, I think, that come through the signs of the times. And we do. It's, it's, it's just progressively and gradually growing worse and worse in our in our faith faith in God, belief in God, and crying out to God as a nation. And that's always a sign of a downfall. Um Again, it says the new survey released Thursday found that 74% of Americans say they believe in God. I would wonder which one. Mm-hmm. A decline from 79% in 2016. You say, yeah, that's only five, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, what, 5%. Well, that still, beats the rate of, of inflation, doesn't well, it? Well, that's, that's a lot. That's <laughs> a, when you take 300 and something million people and say, yes. what's 5% of that? That's a lot. 90%, and of course, that's seven, out of the 74%. Uh, 90% in 2004 who answered that way. So it went from from 90% in 2004 down to 79. Look how rapidly belief in God is falling among Americans. And it's not just those. It, that's America in general as they mm-hmm. try to get a swath of the survey, a swath of America. Similarly, 69% of Americans say they believe in angels. 67% believe in heaven. Both significant declines from earlier polls um, in 2007 at 75% believe in angels, 81% in heaven. And I quote, Gallup has documented sharp declines in church attendance as well. Confidence in organized religion and religious identification in recent years. Uh, Americans' beliefs regarding God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil have also fallen by double digits since 2001. That's a lot. Still, U.S. adults believe in each uh, each entity remains at the majority level. And regular churchgoers, Protestant and Republicans uh, in particular, remain largely resolute in their beliefs. Now, the thing about this is like, whether you believe the truth or not doesn't change the truth. <laughs> so really, yes. I mean, it's interesting to know where the mindset of Americans are, Greg. But you know what? Whether you believe in God or angels or Satan or anything, it makes zero difference. They are all real and they exist. The difference it does make, it doesn't, make, it doesn't change the truth. But here's the difference it does make. I think one of the greatest weapons that Satan has is convincing mankind that, that Satan and demons don't exist. Because how do you fight an enemy that you don't even think is there? You're point. not going to put a defense yeah. up. You're not going to learn how to fight. No, nope. you are absolutely, absolutely vulnerable. You know, it's like some of these, um, uh, you know, uh, movies where the enemy can just disappear and attack invisible or whatever. You know, and cloaking devices in Star Trek or whatever. You'd mm-hmm. have all of a sudden the Klingons would show yes, up and start show up shooting. Yes. Well, if you're not looking for them, guess what? You're a sitting duck. Yeah. And so it, that's a modern example. Um, uh, actually, kind of an old example. If you go to the original Star Trek, but you yeah. get my point. Of what the enemy does to people, if he can convince us that he doesn't exist, all he has to do is pick us off one by one, and we think that it's something else causing these problems when he's orchestrating the entire thing. It's really genius. Yeah, it's evil, but it's genius. Well, and he he cloaks himself in such a way to where you see these things that are outwardly evil looking, and you attribute those things to Satan. Yeah. But Satan's real tools come through things that are supposed to look good. Yeah. They're yeah. righteous, yeah. and they're not. Yeah, and that's, that's right. how he gets in. That's yeah. his Trojan horse, right. so to speak. Right. Not the horror movie. Yeah. But anyway. So the Klingons really are probably attractive underneath all that makeup. It probably. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Well, they're hard to get rid of, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, that, 
That's Pastor Mark. Is that your point? I got it. I didn't need the whiteboard yeah, to sorry, draw that yeah, one out for all you. Right. All right. That's Pastor Mark Kirk, who's helping us make sense of the signs of the times. It's our weekly take on Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news on WIAM LP Knoxville, a weekly broadcast that we have tagged as podcast number 272. And you can look that up and it's available through all of your popular podcast outlets. And now you've got mail. Pastor Mark, we've got three listener questions this week. The first one comes from Michael, who enjoys Signs of the Times in Katy, Texas. Uh, his question is regarding Jesus questioning an unclean spirit, or the unclean spirit, or yes. a unclean spirit. Uh, he says, I'm in the process of studying Mark chapter 5, and just realized Jesus asked the unclean spirit what his name was. Throughout Scripture, Jesus knows people and their names before asking, why did Jesus ask the unclean spirit for their name? Yeah. Was the purpose of asking for the followers around him to hear? Yeah, the great question. Uh, let me address a couple of things here, uh, okay. Michael. Um First of all, uh, the Bible says that when the Lord came to the earth, he laid down his divine prerogative, his divine, um, 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 I should say, his divine rights. Um, and what that means is, is that he didn't, he wasn't all-knowing, he wasn't omniscient, he, he wasn't like the Father at that current moment in heaven. He was fully a man, operating only, the Scripture says, in the gifts of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, the same availability that we have to that today. So with that said, there were times where God, the father revealed to him what was happening. And there may have been times that he didn't reveal it. Certainly if Jesus wanted to know it, he could have asked the father, father, tell me the name of this. And the father would have told him because he had that direct line. And again, the father gave the spirit without measure, but it might be number one, I'll give you a couple of possibilities. It might be that God didn't reveal to Jesus the name of that demon, even though Jesus created that demon. And even though Jesus named that demon, um, so you have to realize that he would have to depend on a word of knowledge from heaven because he didn't have the divine rights. He laid them down when he became, when he became a man again, not that he couldn't have gotten them. And not that there were certain instances where things were revealed to Jesus and he had the perception to know what was on their thoughts or yeah. their minds or things yeah, like again, that. The Lord and the Lord, again, that's one thing. Maybe, maybe he didn't allow, he didn't ask the father to reveal it. So he didn't know which demon at that point inside someone else's body that it was because he wasn't operating as the all omniscient, all knowing at that point, he's operating as a man under the gifts of the Spirit and the power. So he may have really not known. That's a possibility, okay? Um, the second possibility is he knew exactly who it was. Remember, Jesus did name them all. And by asking the demon's name and by making the demon say his name, that demon will be publicly saying, yep, you're the creator and you're the one that gave me this name. You know my name. You gave it to me. So it kind of be like you're saying to your kids, you know, what's your name? And they tell your name. You know, obviously, you gave them that name. And why would the Lord do that? Well, if that is a possibility, he did the same thing with Adam and Eve. Remember when he came to them in the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? Do you think he knew where Adam was? Of course he did. He wanted Adam to verbalize where he was. Yeah. So it might have been he wanted that demon to verbalize who he was to acknowledge who Jesus was, yeah. and here's my name, and you're yeah. the one that gave it to me. That's another possibility as well. So there, there may be other possibilities we don't know. But again, when you see Jesus uh, in situations where, like this, remember, he laid down those divine rights, and he only operated in what gifts were given him yeah. at that moment. And if it wasn't revealed by the Holy Spirit at that moment, he would have had to ask the Father. Certainly could have done that, but he either, did, he either didn't and didn't know the name because he wanted to use this as some other example, or... He knew, and he wanted the demon to have to speak 
here's my name, and acknowledge Jesus as his creator and the one who gave him that name. Well, and also demonstrating Jesus' deity in the midst of it, because no man could ask a demon what his name is, and the demon wouldn't have to submit to what man asked the demon to do. But when Jesus asked, well, you most certainly would have to do what Jesus asked you to do. But, so. And then that could be another point. I yeah. that, that's another takeaway for me when he does that. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the disciples couldn't even cast the demon out. Yeah. And so Jesus is like, hey, all I have to do is just ask. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, yeah. I don't know if that's the exact answer. You know, there may yeah. be something else we don't know. But there's a couple of possibilities. And that's a great question. All right. Pastor Mark April, who enjoys Signs of the Times just north of us in Powell, Tennessee. Uh, has a question regarding guests of the marriage supper of the Lamb. She says, I have a couple of questions concerning those who get saved after the rapture and die before Christ's second coming. So in that gap of time right there. Question number one, will they be joining us at the table during the marriage supper of the Lamb? And two, are these people considered part of the bride of Christ or the church? If not, what do we call them? Yeah, that's a great question. And believe it or not, there is a theological um, um, position on that argument or, or argument? disagreement oh, on it. OK, um, I'll, I'll give you, first of all, um, what the disagreement is. But first of all, let me ask the, the first one. I don't know that there's a disagreement on that is will they be joining us? I think most definitely the Bible doesn't uh, you know, say they'll be joining us at the wedding supper of the Lamb. But the Bible does say they'll be joining us in heaven. So I would say if we're all there gathered having a feast and they're children of God, those not going to say, you know what, you guys sit out there until we're done. No, yeah. they're the family. Yeah. The family's going to be invited in, and I believe, yes, I do believe they will be joining us there at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, and I, regardless of what title you give them, their family, yeah. their kids, and I think hey. you're just going to see them appearing in seats hey. around us hey. as hey, they die. Hey, Mark, only one scoop. We've got more people coming to eat. Yeah, that's right. Hey. Don't finish it off. Well, that's the good thing. There's going to be plenty in I heaven know, and teasing. no calories. But anyway, so yes, uh, I do. I think it's going to be a beautiful, wonderful event where we're going to be there with the Lord, and all of a sudden, I think there's going to be, whether there'll be empty seats, yeah, and suddenly they appear in them. Or whether or not we'll all just kind of be seats added in supernaturally, and there they are. But I think we're going to see people just appearing at the wedding supper of the Lamb, joining us. And I think it's going to be glorious. It's going to be those that are dying during the Great Tribulation. They're going to be joining us. And yes, here's why I believe this, and I believe it's a strong biblical foundation. Uh, they are a part of the family of God. And so the Lord is going to welcome them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Even if they weren't the bride, they'd be welcome to the marriage supper. Now, that gets us to the next question. Uh, April, where there are, there is some theological discussion on this. I, I'll say whether it's disagreements. I'll say not even people don't fight over it, as far as I know. But I'll say theological discussions, and that is some would say, well, no, they don't have the classification of the bride because the official bride is gathered and taken to the wedding, and and it's done. Mm. And the wife are the Jews that were saved before the bride. He calls them his wife in the Old Testament. So you've got the wife and the bride. He doesn't have two wives. It says they'll become one, and the wife and the bride will be one, whether or not we all get a new name together or it's just now the bride and the wife, and we become, how that's going to work, I don't know, but we're going to become one with the Jews who were the wife. We're going to be one with those, the bride of Christ. But there are some who say, no, they can't be called the bride of Christ or the, or the wife of the Lord because they weren't, uh, they weren't in the Old Testament and they're not uh, there at the rapture. And they say they'll probably have some other name and designation and they'll just join us. I, you know, I, I, I can't say for sure. But my guess is, is it doesn't, we're all going to be one married to the Lord. They will be a part of his bride, a part of his wife. We'll all be molded in together, I believe. 
And again, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it makes that huge of a difference. But there is a theological discussion about that out there of the designations. I think the bottom line thing we have to remember, April, is we are all a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, we're his family. We're a part of him. Uh, there may be some separation, uh, designation differences in heaven. We'll see. I don't know. But I know this. There's not going to be some separation among our oneness and our and our familyness and our love of the Lord. And I know this. We're all going to be one with him in heaven. That's So we'll find out the details and if there's any breakdown of designations in heaven. Uh, it is a great question. But I do believe you will see everyone there at the, at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, as they die, they will be joining us. And then what our designation will be, well... We may have to wait for sure uh, to see what that's going to be because it's going to be, again, a reuniting of the wife, the bride that's new, and then these they'll be joining us afterwards. Um, I, you know, I, again, I, I, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be they're going to be running in late uh, with their wedding dress on and um, uh, the veil running down the aisle. Lord, sorry we're late. Glad we're here. Have a seat. And they join in with us. I don't know, but it's going to be wonderful. All right, Pastor Mark, our last question comes from Daniel, who enjoys Signs of the Times out in Beaumont, California has a question regarding the end of the office of prophet. He says, uh, when was the end of the office of prophet? And I'm referring to the prophets that were used in the writings of scripture. If Luke 16, 16 is saying that the prophets were until John the Baptist, or is Luke 16, 16 simply referring to the old Testament prophets? Also no Hebrews one, one tells us that Jesus speaks to us now and we don't need physical people as prophets representing what God wants to say. What does that mean for the book of Revelation, which was written by John the Apostle? Could it be that the book of Revelation is a collection of all end times prophecy structured together by Jesus and revealed unto John? Or is there any new prophecy only found in the book of Revelation that is not in the other books? Also, is there any verse in Scripture that would suggest that the writing of Scripture is complete? Uh, he says, sorry for the long <laughs> question. Yeah. So he summarizes and says, so let me summarize it this way. If the office, office of prophet is done, how did we get the book of Revelation? And when would the office of prophet be considered done? Yeah, that's a great question. Let me read that verse uh, because Jesus did say, as you noted there, Daniel, in Luke sixteen sixteen, the law and the prophets were until John. So, again, that's John the Baptist. So they were talking about John. They were talking about prophets. And the Lord said, John the Baptist is the last prophet. Now, let's give some, we need some background on prophecy stuff here, first of all. Um, And that is, there's a difference in the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. And what is the difference? Remember, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. In other words, that is the indwelling now, the, there's three works of the Holy Spirit we see in the Bible. There's the indwelling, there's the um, with the, the ondwelling, and the withdwelling. The indwelling, uh, the, the withdwelling is the Lord is with us. He's para is the word used there uh, to describe the Lord with us. The ondwelling is the word epi, E-P-I, and it means that it comes upon us. And every time the Spirit comes upon uh, the prophets or someone in the New Testament, they receive power. So there's specific works for each of these works of the Spirit. For power, it's the coming upon, the epi. And that's where Jesus said, you'll be baptized, uh, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, not many days from now, that was the upon. The with is the Lord is with you. He's par, etc. The in, the word is the is en in the Greek, and it means the indwelling. The indwelling could not take place. That particular work of the three works of the Spirit, that particular work could not take place until after the cross. And why? Because man is tainted by sin. God can work upon man and with man while tainted in sin, but God can't live in a temple that is sinful. So when Jesus died on the cross, 
The blood covered the believer. Although we're still sinners, our temple is now purified before God so God could move inside and now his spirit can literally live within us. Now, why the long explanation? Well, prior to the spirit living within us, which came after the cross, the way that God spoke to mankind was in by prophets. He couldn't speak to everyone inside their heart the way he does today by just prompting of the Holy Spirit. He would speak to someone designated as a prophet that he would give a message to. They would bring the message to the nation or to the individual, and they were spokesmen for God. That's what I mean by the office of a prophet. It was a very specific designation that was set apart prior to the cross so God could speak to certain people and give messages to individuals and the nation. Now, once the Holy Spirit was given, that's no longer needed. Why are prophets, why is the office of a prophet no longer needed? It's no longer needed because every one of you are now little prophets. There is a prophet inside of all of us. It's Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the God himself. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and he prophesies to us directly. So we don't need prophets to travel across land and sea to get to us, or we have to travel to some prophet to hear what the word of the Lord is. God speaks it straight to our heart as we read the Bible. So what Jesus was saying with that background is that the office of the prophets, those official men before the indwelling, the last one was John the Baptist. That was until John, because the Spirit had not yet been given. John's the last designated prophet prior to the, the, the cross. As a matter of fact, he's said to be the greatest prophet ever. And the greatest prophet ever came right before the cross. Then Jesus died. And then, of course, now we have yeah. the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So um, that's why we say the office of a prophet is now done. That's step one. Now, now the second part of your question, and, and we may, there may be even a third part to it, but the second part of this prophet issue is, okay, what about John the Baptist? I mean, John the, uh, John the Apostle, who is different than John the Baptist. Uh, what about the book of Revelation? Is that not a prophetic book? Of course it's a prophetic book. But it was not given from the office of a prophet. John the Apostle was not a prophet. John the Apostle had a gift of prophecy, which still goes on after the office of prophet stopped. So the office of prophet stopped. The, uh, the gift of prophecy continued on, which we still have today. And so God can give people prophecies today. God simply gave John a prophecy. It wasn't the office of a prophet speaking as a prophet. It was a prophecy by the gift of prophecy to John who wrote it down. And we see the same thing happen, basically, Paul the same way. God showed Paul uh, by the gift of prophecy uh, some things that were going to happen. Paul spoke them out. The rapture is one of them. Paul's the one who writes about the rapture in First Thessalonians. So uh, you have to separate the office of a prophet prior to the cross to the gift of prophecy after the cross. That The gift of prophecy still operates today. So God could, if God wanted to, God could still give a book of Revelation to a whole different prophet. Now, he's not going to. He's given us everything we're going to have till the Lord comes back. I believe the Scripture's clear on that, but he could have done it. So don't be confused by the fact that John prophesied to think that the office of prophet was still in place. No, God could still give prophecies today, and he does. I've seen it happen. In foretelling events, I've seen people do that, and I've seen forth-telling, F-O-R-T-H, whereas you proclaim the Word of God, God speaks prophetically to people's hearts. So it can, it can happen in both ways, and I think does still happen uh, in, in both ways as well. So that answers that question. Was there one more in there, Greg, that we need? Okay, is that it? I think that was it. Okay. So I hope that answers your question, Daniel. Um, yeah. Again, I hope that makes it clear for you. There is still a gift of prophecy today, but it is separate from the office of a prophet who Jesus himself declared ended with John the Baptist. All right. 
All right, let's uh, move on on our program today and get into some growing anti-Semitism. And because this tie, this story ties back to the original story in a way when we talk about the quantity of attacks that are, are being brought on by the Jews, it starts grooming early. And this story from Israel Today highlights that. Uh, it says Palestinians' summer camps uh, to kill Jews. So let's talk about that. And this really explains a lot of our first story. Train them up in the way yep. they should go, and they will not depart. It you know, works both ways. Yes, it does. You can train them up righteously, or you can train them up wickedly, which is what they're doing. Can you imagine a summer camp? Like, I remember a summer camp, but the worst <laughs> no. thing they did at summer camp was, you know, was throw, you know, water balloons at the yes. other cabin or whatever, uh, maybe some whipped cream in their bed or whatever. This is not the kind of summer camp you want to send your kid to. No. While school children, it says, around the world are enjoying the summer vacation through sports and entertainment, Palestinian children are being taught and trained how to fight Israel and the Jews. Uh, the indoctrination and brainwashing of Palestinian children is not new. Palestinian leaders have been raising generation after generation on hatred for Israel and the Jews. Uh, this incitement has been taking place in the Palestinian kindergartens, schools, universities, mosques, media, even crossword puzzles for decades. For more than a decade, Iranian-backed Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hamas terror groups have been holding summer camps for thousands of school children throughout the Gaza Strip. These camps have served as a framework for inculcating an extreme ideology that glorifies jihad or holy war, terrorism, and the armed struggle against Israel with the, with the aim of liberating Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, in other words, destroying Israel. The camps also provide military training. Such get this, such as practice with knives and firearms, hand in combat, uh, and marching foot drills. Uh, the children also stage plays and enact scenes of fighting and capturing Israeli soldiers or firing rockets at Israel. They're training up the next generation to hate the Jews and how to fight them. Again, you know, Greg, it's always been known. Give give you give me the children. These wicked leaders. You give them the children, and they'll have the next generation. That's demonic. It's the same thing happening in America. We're seeing our children right now in kindergarten being perverted and confused about everything. It's no different than what they're doing over there with the Palestinian children. It's it's the same mindset. It may not be the exact same tactics and the same training of events, but it's the same mindset. Satan knows if he can get the children, he has the whole generation. And even if Satan wants to destroy the Jews and is trying to train up more generations to do that, um, he wants to destroy America and everything to do with God in America, so they're training up the next generation to be perverted and destroying as well. So sad, but again, it's that last day's hatred of the Jews and of God in general. All right, let's get to some pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption, and I don't know what this is, but it's it's from the blaze, and it says cocaine sharks swarm off Florida coast yeah. from drug smugglers. Please explain. Yeah, well, let's read some of the article. Listen to what it says, and then I'll, if it doesn't fully explain, okay. the scientists have set out to determine if cocaine sharks are real in the wild or just a potential title for a cheesy sci-fi flick, <laughs> right? In many cases, drug dealers will dump the illegal narcotics off a boat and into the ocean if they suspect they're about to get caught by authorities. Tons of cocaine have been floating around in the oceans just this year. Italian officials confiscated more than five tons of cocaine floating in the ocean off the coast of Sicily this week, another two tons uh, in the water in April. Scientists now are conducting research to determine whether sharks are becoming addicted to cocaine. What they're saying is they believe that all the cocaine that's being dumped, sharks are eating it, and they're literally becoming addicted to the cocaine. Now, what evidence they have of that, I don't know, but they're saying that um, there's actually the, they're eating the drugs, and because of that, it's having an impact on the shark society. Um, they're in the ocean. So 
Again, I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be lots of jokes that will come out about this. Not you know, not good ones. But I'm saying no. that the comedians will have a field day with this. But the bottom line is, you know, that's you know, who knows? It, it could be nothing more than just a polluting of our of the, of the creatures in the ocean. Some may be trying to use it to explain an increase in shark attacks. I don't know. Uh, but it is an interesting uh, phenomena, and it's kind of—I really kind of put it under. It wasn't so much pestilence, plagues, and disasters. I put, I put under scriptures. I put bizarre news is what I put. But either way, it is bizarre, and so there you have it. So it, it's kind of a, one of those things you you see and you mention, but I don't know where it connects in to signs yeah. of the times. But it is interesting news. Okay. <laughs> well, let's get to some bizarre stuff. Yes. Oh boy, uh, this is from Fox News, and everyone pump the brakes. This is, anyway, Australian dish brain researchers (laughs) received more than $400,000 to merge AI with human brain cells. Dish brain sounds like a name you'd call your kids on the playground, your friends. Hey, dish brain, get over here. You know, remember Dolly the sheep and they cloned Dolly in England or whatever. Okay, all I'm saying is, is this, just because they did it doesn't mean they'll keep doing it. Yeah. Or that they were really successful with it to the yeah. point, because if they were, then why wouldn't we hear more about it? Yeah. I can't say that they're going to be successful for this, uh, su- successful with this, but it's bizarre it, anyway. It is bizarre. When they made that clone of Dolly, you don't really hear that much about Dolly Parton. So I don't think that's still, well, actually you do, Greg, you still hear about that. Well, you said... I, I think that's a different Dolly, Pastor Mark. Uh, Dolly, oh. Dolly the sheep, not Dolly the country music. Oh, so the, I'm sorry. So the sheep parting into two wasn't. No, that was not part. Parton. No, parting. Th- th- parting. I'm sorry. Yeah, because parting. Right, that, okay. That's East Tennessee. Thank you, Greg. Thank that's you. again the brain cells. That's what the, I'm here for. Dish brain. Okay. No I have problem. dish brain. I have dish brain. Thank you. <laughs> the team of researchers in Australia has been awarded more than 403,000 in federal funding to merge human brain cells with artificial intelligence. Melbourne's Monash University, which led to the research into growing human brain cells on silicon chips. Now, get that. They're growing human brain cells on silicon chips. Said in a release that the money came from the National Intelligence and Security Discovery Research Lack of Grants intelligence. Program. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it involves growing around 800,000 brain cells living in a dish, which are then taught to perform goal-directed tasks. You know, I, I'd like to get some I'm of these. sorry. Greg, I'd like to get some of these great brain cells and put them in my brain. Hey, that's I, right. I could use some more. Can you, grow, can you grow brain cells on my brain? That'd be wonderful. Uh, last year, the cell's ability to play the game Pong while living in a dish received international attention. So these 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 get this these cells brain cells uh, on these that could play they get could play pong uh, while that again what it shows you is you don't need much more than a dish brain to play pong. <laughs> <laughs> the scientists published those fi- findings in the journal Neuron. Wow. <laughs> Again, it's getting freaky. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, getting freaky, and there's a lot of jokes that come out of this as well. But either way, there you go. There's well, where the term dish I, brain comes from. I think the uh, the best dishes uh, come from China. Yeah. Because that's where the fine China comes from. You're right. right. You're right. That's exactly right. So, so To play the plate analogy. Yes, that's right. There you go. Where's the drummer? Where's Shecky when you need him? Where, where's Shecky? You know, I'm not. Where is Shecky? Here. Okay. There, okay. We need to keep him handy. There's, we got to keep him handy. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's get to some good news. We've got a few minutes here. All right, good. All right, uh, this is from ChristianHeadlines.com. It's never too late. Yeah. 85-year-old man gets baptized at a Greg Laurie mass 
baptism event. Yeah, great story, and especially when yeah. you know statistics. Look, God doesn't operate by statistics, but let me just say to our listeners, if you go look up the statistics of when people gave their life to the Lord, and you have these Gallup polls and all these, they do these same things as yes. well. By the time you reach 85, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, it is statistically impossible to be saved. Statistically. Yes, that's true. Yes. So, so what that means is statistics. there's so few people in that age group that come to Christ at that age that it shows up on a statistic analysis as basically impossible. Well, God is not bound by statistics, nor is anything impossible for God. And the reason being would be this. The Bible teaches that the more we reject, the longer we reject the truth of God, the harder our hearts get over time. So by the time you allow your heart to get that far down the road, you don't want God. But what a great story. How exciting, Greg. This is so, try to picture this in your mind as they describe it. An 85-year-old man surrendered his life to Jesus Christ for the first time during a recent mass baptism. There's thousands there, an event hosted by Pastor Greg Laurie, California's historic Pirate's Cove. And again, he did this because it was an anniversary of the Pirate Cove baptisms back when Pastor Chuck was doing them and the Jesus Revolution movie that came out. It says this special event, Inspired by the recent hit film, Jesus Revolution, occurred on Saturday. The movie, released in February, highlights the origin of the 70s Jesus Movement revival through Calvary Chapel. At one point, the line really got slowed down because of an older couple. So all these people are coming down, right? And all of a sudden, the line gets slowed down. And it draws everybody. Imagine that. Imagine the attention on yeah. that. And God was no doubt honoring this man. This is so amazing. The gentleman was 85 years old, and he was, t- he was taking longer to get down the stairs, Lori explained, but when, he, when we met him, his story was so amazing because he watched the movie at 85 years old and accepted Jesus into his life. That movie led him to Christ, Greg. The pastor also shared that the elderly man's baptism proves that it's never too late for someone to turn to Christ. What a great story. As Christian Headlines previously reported last month, roughly 20,000 people attended the baptism event at Pirate's Cove during the 50th anniversary of the Jesus Movement at the event dubbed the biggest water baptism in history. 4,500 people were baptized in the ocean. Wow. What an amazing thing. First of all, just to see all these people baptized. What a great event. But, Greg, then to see... Uh, we have this man, 85 years old, giving his life to the Lord, statistically impossible, working his way down into the water to be baptized. What a great story. And again, the family saying we thought he'd never be saved. You know, sometimes it's, it's till the last minute, but, you know, we should never stop praying for those we love. Yeah. It reminds me of Jesus's parable about the workers when he uh, when he paid workers at the beginning of the day to work and he paid the same wage to the people at the end of the day. Yeah. And the people at the beginning were complaining. Yeah. And 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 and. Another analogy that you can take from that is the fact is, you know what? It doesn't matter what age you come to know Jesus. Yes. Even if at 85 years old, God's still going to use you, still going to use that. It, don't, put your hands on the plowshare and right. don't look back. That's right. Don't regret anything from that point forward. Be great, grateful and usable from that point forward. And God will do great things in your life. Absolutely. Again, I think it's a great reminder to continue to pray for those that you care about and those that you love. And again, we think about those that, uh, again, continue to pray for uh, our leaders. Again, regardless of where they are, what they're doing, how old they are, for your parents, pray for all. God can save anybody at any moment. And wouldn't it be great to see, for example, some of our national leaders come to Christ? You just... Again, don't don't forget to pray for uh, for all those for in your leadership. family yes. and our leadership. Continue to pray for them and watch God do a great work. So what a great story. What a great way to end today. And again, I would just say if you're out there listening today and maybe God has touched your heart for the first time, you know, the invitation is open to you. Jesus died for you, not just the world. He died for you right now, watching on the Internet, listening on the radio, by streaming, whatever. He died for you. 
He loves you, and if you will confess your sin, ask him to forgive you, receive him as your Lord and Savior, you can be born again just like this 85-year-old man was. Mm. Again, no matter your age, God will receive you right now. By the way, you will join us at the wedding supper of the Lamb. You'll not have to wait, like the, the person that asked the question, to arrive after it started. And right. when you've been at the table, your seat will be reserved <laughs> waiting on you at yeah. the very beginning of it. So turn to the Lord, and he'll receive you today. So I hope that somebody responds to that. That 85-year-old man, Pastor Mark, is clearly finishing well. Yes, he is. As we all want to. Hey, if you've got a Roku TV player or an Apple TV box, then guess what? You can get thewaymedia.net where you can watch us on your big screen, Signs of the Times. We'll be back next Friday at 1.30 to continue to discuss and learn how the things happening today do point to God's word as Signs of the Times. So we hope to see you next Friday. Follow the sign.